Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message impacts you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. We hope you enjoy this message. So if we haven't met yet, my name is Ella, as Sean said, and I'm the Assistant Discipleship Pastor here at church. So my main focus is to help resource all our different ministry areas, and I'm passionate about helping you to reach your full potential and pursue the call that God has for your life. So that's essentially my role here. It's such an honor to be preaching here this morning. I haven't for like way over a year. So thank you, Sean and Morella, for giving me the opportunity. It's such an amazing privilege to share the word of God. It's December 30. It's the end of the year. Can you believe it? I personally can't. It's gone so quickly. But as the year starts to come to an end, I'm the kind of person that gets really contemplative. I start thinking about the year gone and I start thinking about the year to come. And not everyone is like that, but I'm the kind of person who's pretty big on New Year's resolutions. I like to set goals and I like to plan things out and I like to sort of figure out what I can achieve and what I have achieved and all that kind of thing. And I'm sure there's a lot of you here who don't like to do that. Not everyone's the same. It says a lot about my personality type. But we all have certain hopes and dreams, right? We have things that we want to do or hope to do or plan on doing. And we set ourselves expectations and sometimes they're achievable and sometimes they're not, as we all know. They say that the best kinds of goals are very time-specific and measurable and attainable, but what about those dreams that are out of our hands? Those hopes and dreams that we have buried in our hearts. And really, the only thing we can do for those kinds of dreams are just pray for them. And whether we do that or not is a whole other matter. You know, I have a few of those, and every year I think, you know, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year that I'll see my brother come to know God. Maybe this is the year that I'll meet that love of my life. Maybe this is the year that I'll get that creative download and know what I want to write my future book about. But to be honest, I actually don't like having hopes and dreams that much. They're a little bit scary because they make me vulnerable to disappointment. And I'm honestly so scared sometimes of believing for something 100% just in case it doesn't happen. Because for me, goals are safe, right? Goals are safe because I can work towards them. I can actually put energy into them. I can see and I can measure them. You know, and if it fails, that's actually on me, right? But those abstract dreams, they have the potential for pain. You know, and there's nothing really that we can do about those dreams, right? So the definition of disappointment is the feeling of sadness or displeasure caused by the defeat of one's hopes or expectations. And that kind of feeling is something that I tend to avoid. King Solomon in Proverbs wrote that hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, and as I've contemplated this past year, I've had quite a lot of that feeling, quite a lot of disappointment. You know, and my time over the past few months has really been trying to figure that out and figure out how I can live actually in the aftermath of disappointment, to figure out how I can actually overcome some of the grief that I've experienced over this past year and how I can actually cling on to God when I haven't really wanted to. 
I haven't got it all figured out yet, but God has taught me a few things, and so that's what I want to share with you this morning. So what can we do when we get disappointed, when things aren't turning out the way that we planned? There's one guy in the Bible who knew especially quite a lot about disappointment, and that's, of course, Job. So of those of you who don't know Job, he suffered total disaster. He lost all his children, he lost all his property, and he was inflicted with all these diseases. You know, and his friends assumed that what had happened to him was just him being punished for sin. But he knew that wasn't the case. He knew God. But he still didn't understand why this was happening to him. And I think what is really incredible about Job is that rather than walk away from God, as I'm sure many would do in his situation, he actually boldly challenges God. He says in chapter 10, verses 1 to 2, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me? And he goes on to lament in verse 18, which is really intense. Why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before anyone saw me. If only I had never come into being or had been carried straight from the womb to the grave. And not my days almost over. Turn away from me so that I can have a moment's joy before I go to the place of no return, to the land of gloom and deep shadow, to the land of deepest night, of deep shadow and disorder, where even the light is like darkness. Whoa. (laughs) That's all I can say. Whoa. It's heavy stuff, right? This guy knew disappointment. This guy knew grief. This guy knew pain. But what I think is really cool about the book of Job is that it's actually considered to be the oldest book in the Bible and the first book ever written, which when you think about it reveals a few things. First of all, God is not afraid of looking bad and he's not intimidated by our questions that come out of our disappointments. In fact, he actually encourages it. You know, we read in Job that God would prefer that we complain, contend, and wrestle with God rather than turn away from him. Author Philip Yancey says in his book, Disappointment with God, we need to throw at God our grief, our anger, our doubt, our bitterness, our betrayal, our disappointment, because he can absorb them all. As often as not, spiritual giants of the Bible are shown contending with God. They prefer to go away limping like Jacob rather than shut God out. In this respect, the Bible prefigures a tenant of modern psychology. You can't really deny your feelings or make them disappear. You might as well express them. God can deal with every human response, save one. He cannot abide the response I personally fall back on instinctively, which is an attempt to ignore him or treat him as though he does not exist. You can see this as you read through the book of Psalms as well, a book of poetry that spans the entirety of the human conditions. The Psalms rage at God. Sometimes it cries out to God. It praises God. It questions God and it worships God. Psalm 42, which is a psalm very close to my heart, I actually have a tattoo of that psalm on my leg. And it says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go out mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? 
See, the Bible is not afraid. The Bible is not afraid to contend with the things of God. But we come to a dilemma in our disappointment. How could an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God let bad things happen? How come despite our best intentions, do things still not always work out for us, even when we're trying our best to be faithful to him? The reason that I want to share about disappointment this morning is not because I want you to feel depressed, but because it's actually real. I don't think that we should shy away from the difficult questions or brush over them or give them a cliche Christian response. The purpose of my sharing this morning is if you are experienced disappointment or grief, maybe it's small or maybe it's so huge that you don't even know how to face it. Maybe it's something that's happened to you a long time ago or maybe it's fresh and it's still burning in your heart. I hope that you can leave here this morning with a new perspective, maybe a little bit of hope, maybe some new discovered levels of grace, and maybe it just might turn that disappointment into something divine. I believe that it's only when we can be really real and authentic and raw that God can actually work in the depths of our hearts. You know, he calls us to repent, and that's a very religious word, But what repentance does is it's beautiful because it frees us from our burdens. It frees us from our complaints and our darkest struggles and it opens them up to God's grace. It says in 2 Corinthians, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This year has been one that's hit me personally quite hard, as you can probably tell. (laughs) Out of the blue, I've experienced a lot of disappointments and tremendous amounts of grief. You know, and there were times this year when I felt like giving up, when I felt like I wanted to just start a new life somewhere else. I had moments of overwhelming shame. There were moments that I felt so rejected that my heart physically hurt. I felt so disappointed that I didn't want to face God. I didn't want to wrestle with him. I didn't even want to talk to him sometimes. I couldn't believe sometimes this year that God's promises really applied to me. You know, and as you probably know, when things can't get any worse, that they usually do. This year, my childhood friend committed suicide and my mental health went into decline. And I often woke up so terrified because I was crippled with anxiety. That was my year, 2018, hey? You know, I'd tell myself, Ellie, you're better than this. You have to be better than this. To function in your life and to do what you do, you have to be better than this. You can't let these things get the better of you. You have to forget about it. But often as time went on, instead of the disappointment actually decreasing, instead it grew. And I felt further and further away from God. Sometimes this can be the reality in our lives. And we can't shy away from those things. We can't pretend. And we're all family here, right? So I can be vulnerable with you. Sometimes I didn't want to pray. Sometimes I didn't want to read my Bible. Sometimes I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. That's for sure. You know, all the pastoral wisdom in the world and all the lessons that I've learned over the years really didn't help me much to get out of the hole that I was in. And it wasn't a situation that I dealt well with. 
isn't that funny? I'm not perfect. I didn't do any of the right things. And if someone had come to me for advice on things like this, the things that I would have told them, I definitely didn't do. Bit of a hypocrite over here. There were times when I would be at the back of the auditorium in this room and I'd be standing in worship and just felt so disconnected and so overcome with grief. And yet, and yet, I knew even then that one day I would stand up here on this stage and I would tell you that there is hope. There is hope. There is hope in the darkest parts of your life. Hope remains. And that is the story of my life. No matter how dark things have been for me, no matter how, how dark things can be for you, hope always remains. The reason that God would rather we wrestle with him rather than lose faith in him is because without him, we will fill that void with other things. We'll let other things be in that driving seat of our lives. We'll let other things fill us up, but that will ultimately leave us empty whether it's criticism, narcissism, temptation, or sin. Because whether, where there is the absence of faith and the absence of hope, doubt and fear can sneak in. As Philip Yancey mentioned, God would prefer us to be like Jacob in the book of Genesis and wrestle with him all night and come out with a limp than not bother with him at all. So how do we cling on to God and, and the hope that Jesus brings when disappointment tries to drive us away? How do we keep our eyes fixed on him when things don't turn out the way that we thought they would? How do we remain faithful when years like this happen? Because they will happen. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has written eternity on our hearts. So with that in mind... What does disappointment mean? It means that God has actually fashioned us with a mechanism of hope. He alone has the power to forever wipe away tears. He alone has the ability to satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. Only Jesus can heal our sick hearts. The beautiful part is that the deferment of hope, when we're feeling disappointment, it only adds to the bliss of fulfillment. So it's worth the wait. The one thing that I know that I know that I know without a shadow of a doubt is that no matter how dark things can get, no matter what has happened, there is always hope. Hope is there whether we feel it, hope is there whether we see it, hope is there whether we acknowledge it or not. The hope that Jesus Christ gives to us exists. It is eternal and it's actually internal. No external thing can take it from us. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, only in the darkness can you see the stars. And he also said that we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. You know, a symbol that often comes to mind when I think of unfulfilled hopes is like a wishing well. You know, it paints a picture that isn't actually all that hopeful. We throw in our spare change and we wish for something, but it actually just joins other unfulfilled dreams in a watery grave. There's no redemptive value or investment. Just collects algae. And then you go on with your life, longing for something that may or may not happen. But the kingdom of God actually operates very differently. His detailed plan says that deferred hopes do so much more than collect that pond scum. 
Each rejection, every heartache, all the missed opportunities are actually invested. They are sown like seeds that will have their time to bring forth fruit. That fruit may be simple, like time spent with Jesus. As you walk through that healing process, maybe it looks like a tender heart that will learn to comfort others. Or maybe it's thicker skin, which means you're ready for the next thing that life throws at you. But we all find that in Jesus. In his book, The Liturgy of Liberation, Theo George Jennings says of Jesus, he comes to liberate. He liberates the blind from darkness, the lame from immobility, the sick from disease, the possessed from madness. He shatters the bond of custom and class. He breaks open the iron structures of legalism. He summons the dead to life. He transforms water into wine and death into life. He announces deliverance to the captives and sets liberty to those who are oppressed. That's what Jesus can do. And we can know for sure, despite how we feel, that no ache will be wasted in the kingdom of God. It has a purpose. If you feel like you've been hit with disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, know this, God will actually use it. He uses everything. He uses everything. He uses our brokenness. He uses our weaknesses. He uses our mistakes and he turns them into glory. That ache actually means growth if you're following Christ. Longing reminds believers that ultimate satisfaction is waiting in what's to come. So we should continue to prayerfully yet prudently hope for good things. Those hopes and dreams that I mentioned earlier that I don't want to have, we've got to have them. We've got to offer them up to God and trust that he's a purpose for it, either in the heartache or the fulfillment. It's like as John Piper says, darkness comes. In the middle of it, the future looks blank. The temptation to quit is huge. Don't. You are in good company. You will argue with yourself that there is no way forward. But with God, nothing is impossible. Here's more ropes and ladders and tunnels out of pits that you can conceive. Wait, pray without ceasing. Hope. We've got to hold on to hope. Samuel Smiles says that hope is like the sun, which as we journey towards it, casts the shadow of our burden behind us. I'll be honest though, if I'm given a choice, I'd choose to live in a very safe bubble where there is no disappointment, there is no pain, there is no grief. But that's not the reality, is it? And it never will be. God never promised that I'd ever get what I want or that my days would be easy or that I wouldn't suffer or that he'd let me skip the bad parts of life. And that's where disappointment can come in. And it hits the hardest when I actually confuse what I think God owes me with what he actually told me. So he said I should give thanks, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. He says he understands my challenges, Hebrews 4, 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He says, I would not be crushed, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9. We are hard pressed on every side, not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. He said, I'd never be alone, Psalm 139, 2-8. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you were there. If I make my bed in the depths, you were there. God actually said he would use my grief, 1 Peter 1, 6-7. In all this you greatly rejoice. Now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He says that he is enough. Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He says he uses our trials to grow us, Romans 5, 3 to 5. Not only that, but we greatly rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He says sometimes we don't understand what he's doing. He says that he has good plans for me. He says he is with me in my disappointments. He says that this feeling won't last forever. He says that he will use my pain, and he says that we will not fall. He says a lot. God says a lot about this human condition of grief and disappointment. And God doesn't owe us anything because he's already given us everything. You know, we are wired to be a people of hope We have eternity in our hearts. So the circumstances and the disappointments and the pain of today are just a blip in the light of the rest of our lives and our purpose here on earth. Because we have a purpose here on earth. Each and every one of us has a purpose. You know, God actually responded to Job's unwavering faith. And he revealed to Job the depth of his power and his wisdom which made Job realize that God is actually in ultimate control. And so he humbled himself before him and God actually gave back to him everything that he had lost. Isaiah 40, 28 to 31 says, Have you never heard, have you never understood, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those whose trust is in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And he says in 1 Peter that we should cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. It's in these kinds of promises that I believe we can rediscover God in the ashes of our disappointments. And it's there that we can find new strength in him. So what actually brought me out of the disappointments of the past six months? It's actually having God's word in me. We know that God is all loving, all knowing, and all powerful. He didn't set me up for fail, but he'd actually planted a seed of victory in me before any of it had even begun. He pursued me relentlessly. So what does scripture do? The psalm says that I've hidden my word in your heart that I might not sin against you. And it says your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Scripture illuminates the way we should go. Romans 15, 4 says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. Hope means that God is for us. Hope means that our past doesn't limit our future. And scripture actually gives us a way to understand God in those places. Hope means that God's love has sufficient power to unleash our deepest potentials. 
Scripture shows us that hope. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is a story of a man who, before he met Jesus, lived a solitary life in this emotional and spiritual anguish. He lived in exile among the tombs, and he was naked, and he would cry and cut himself with stones. And one day, Jesus actually stepped into this man's anguish and freed him from his afflictions. And so this man was transformed from being naked and afflicted into being clothed and in his right mind. And so that story of hope that actually demonstrates for us the power of Jesus is available to us today. You know, it's captured in this biblical word called salvation. It's, salvation describes what God has done, is doing and will do on behalf of men and women who suffer from the misery, mortality and meaninglessness of the human condition. It's big. Salvation is big and it's available to us. We discover this salvation and this hope in moments of transparent honesty when we begin to admit our brokenness and our sin and our hurt and our pain to Jesus. My message this morning and my purpose of sharing is that these things happen. Life equals grief often. Life equals disappointments often. But there is always hope in Jesus. That hope is in us that hope is all around us, that hope is readily available to us as we reach out and we ask Jesus into our lives. You know, I don't know what 2018 has been like for you. Maybe it was an amazing year, as some years are, where things just seem to go to plan. And I don't know what disappointments or grief you have in your life. Maybe it's in your family or in your ministry or in your relationships. Maybe it's your career, your finances or your health. Maybe you're yet to actually experience difficult disappointments. But the toads I say, get the word inside of you. Prepare yourself so that when the waves begin to crash around you, you have a weapon to wield. You know, we've come out of a series called Stand Firm, which was on Ephesians, remember? where it lays it out clear for us. It says, put on the whole armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So do what this scripture says and put on that armour so that you'll be in victory before the battle has even begun. Maybe your year's been a little bit like mine and you've let disappointment and grief drive itself so deep that even the thought of lifting up your sword and your shield exhausts you. You know, it may take time and it may take endurance. It may be the hardest thing that you've ever had to do, but I encourage you, God will use it for glory and He'll use it for growth because that's what He does. We see it. We see it every day in this church. God transforms people's lives. He has the power to transform people's lives. Do you believe it? Do you have a faith to believe that He can do anything? I believe it because I've been broken and He has transformed my life. I'm sure there's many people in this room who know the power of Jesus and who have the same testimony as me, who've been able to see hope through pain, who've been able to see hope through grief and who've come out the other side. Your grief and your disappointment is not the end. There is hope. Jesus doesn't leave you as you are. He never does. And His promises that He lays out all over Scripture, 
remain. If you're sitting in your seat right now and you don't know Jesus, you don't know the hope that He brings, you've never experienced that salvation that I've described. You've never had someone who you can reach out to in your greatest moments of darkness. You've never had someone who you can turn to. That hope remains. God is there. God is waiting. He's reaching His hand out to you. I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to God. To actually turn your eyes to Him and to reach out to Him. Maybe for the first time. Or maybe this is your hundredth time where you just want to reach out and say, God, I want to know you because I need you. I need you in this moment. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment. I'm just going to give you a private moment that if you would like to invite Jesus into your life for the first time, maybe the second time, and you just want to ask Him to meet you where you are at in your brokenness, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And the reason I'm asking you to do this is that so you can actually act, act, put into action your faith. You can actually reach out to Him and say, God, I want to know you. Jesus, fill me up. Meet me where I'm at. So if you'd like to raise your hand, if you want to know Christ for the first time in your life, or maybe for the second time, just in this moment where it's private, no one's looking at you, just raise your hand. Because I want to pray with you. I'm just going to give you a moment. If you would like to know the hope that Jesus has, you can just raise your hand in this moment. I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the sacrifice on the cross. I thank you that you came into this world like we celebrated at Christmas so that we would know the life that you bring. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your hope is there, that your hope is in us and around us and is available to us whenever we need it. We thank you that in you is transformation. We thank you that in you is new life. We receive your forgiveness, Lord, in this moment. Thank you for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message has impacted you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us at c3hobart.org.au.